0: Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com.
1: TWIP is sponsored by Audible. For a free downloadable book, visit www.audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP. Welcome to This Week in Photography. What a week it's been. I'm Scott Bourne. I'm sitting in as host today. Our buddy Alex is headed towards Pittsburgh, PA, where he hails from, so he's not going to be on the show. We'll do our best to make up for him by talking about something that you don't understand later on. That was supposed to be a funny joke. But we do have we do have some regulars here uh, in the virtual house uh, from Hermosa Beach. Ron Brinkman, the guy who knows more about recording very, very complicated things in a camera and doing even more complicated things to him for a movie screen after that than anybody I know. How you doing, Ron?
2: I'm doing well. I'm happy to talk about things that nobody understands if we want to. Okay. Well. <laughs> Including myself. <laughs> and um, from Adobe
1: headquarters in san jose california directly in the flight path of the san jose airport we have uh, frederick johnson hi fred
0: hey guys yeah talking to you from the flight path and from the uh, the floor that the lightroom and photoshop team actually sit on oh it's exciting around here today
1: special mojo because we'll be talking about some of that stuff in a minute um we have a special guest from microsoft on just a little bit later those of you who say we're a mac only show shame on you Tisk, tisk, tisk. We have Microsoft in the house. We'll get to that in a bit. And um, engineering, we have my very capable right hand man, Greg Martin. Also, we have Aaron Mailer, our producer. That's right, we've elevated him from show notes guy to producer. He'll be chipping in a little bit later with the site of the week. Getting into the news because we have a lot of it Mapjack gives Google Street View a run for its money. By the way, using Google's own map. API. It's insanely high resolution, nice UI, and even has the ability to adjust the projection on the fly. Check that out at mapjack.com. Aperture plugins have arrived. Aperture 2.1 was released by Apple, and in a shocking move, they decided to open up and provide a plugin API um, access to people so that they could do things like Dodge and Burn, which is one of the free plugins that ships with 2.1. Lots of third-party companies are going to get into the fray. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment when we discuss the Lightroom 2.0 Beta, which we're going to turn over to Fred for that. I uh, also want to mention that we uh, took in some data from IDG that says Canon is losing market share to Nikon, while Canon still supersedes Nikon in the SLR race. Man, the numbers are shrinking, and they're coming much closer together. The race is heating up, and my guess is things like the D3... The D300 and the lack of Canon innovation in the last year or two could be causing some of that sales lead to drift away. So we hope that Canon's paying attention. It's
2: good to have it's competition. all because we're talking about it all the time. Yeah, yeah I, I hate to just say that. thinking that.
1: Yeah, we, we, uh, broke, we broke Canon's back by mistake, and we're mostly Canon shooters. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I stock that was weird. iStock has disclosed revenue, guys. This is big. Concert. That was interesting. It's the very first time. They paid out $20.9 million to photographers on wow. seventy one point nine. That's a. I will have to tell you, that's a much bigger share than I thought they would give, so I'm proud of them. Over what span of time, Scott? Is
0: that about a year or
1: a quarter? I, 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 did, I did not see the original report, so I do not know. Um, the press release said... They disclosed revenues of seventy one point nine million, paid out twenty point nine million to contributing photographers, and that they're selling an image every one point
2: four seconds. Yeah, that's the number that really wow. hit home with me. Is that yeah, the, the millions it's hard to figure what exactly that means, but the fact that you know every couple seconds somebody's ticking off, uh, you know, buy an image off of there shows you that there's a lot of activity going on. Yeah. And, and and to see a contribution of
1: $20.9 against revenues of $71.9 means that they're not cheaping out on the photographers, which, of course, is the interest that we represent on this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's move on quickly. What that, Casio, says, what that says
0: to me is I I want a piece of that, Scott. That's what well, that says. get
1: your images up there, man. Get going. Get some of those girls exactly. you take pictures of to sign models releases, and you'll sell those. Uh, oh, they've all signed. Oh, Good. <laughs> Casio EXF1, we've talked about it here on previous episodes. Guess what? It finally, finally, finally ships in two weeks. And uh, will we get one to review? Doubtful, because Casio doesn't know we exist. Everyone will scream at me because we didn't review it. Well, just remember, look up Casio's phone number on the web, call him and say, Scott and Alex would like to test this camera. It worked when you did it with Pentax. Maybe it'll work with Casio if they don't have the sense to talk to the largest photography audience online that's their loss but we'd like to take a look at that camera hint 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 now let's talk about the big news down from san jose fred's there sitting on the announcement of lightroom 2.0 beta take it away freddy
0: yeah there's uh so that's it that's the news that's you know i'm done <laughs> thank <laughs> you
1: from adobe and you san just jose.
0: stole my thunder mr bort <laughs> Uh, no, so yeah, we uh, we launched the Lightroom two beta. Uh, it went out actually at Photoshop World was the official announcement location. Although it was showed up in various places, including my Twitter feed the night before. But it uh, we had uh, our product manager Tom Hogarty on stage with Scott Kelby and our one of our VPs Johnny uh, Loyakino in Florida, sort of talking about the uh, the features in the release and how some of them are revolutionary and other, others of them are, other other features are revolutionary or evolutionary. And uh, one of the main features that, you know, I'll sort of run through, I won't take up all the time, but one of the main features in the app that we're really, really excited about is the uh, localized correction feature. Um, and what that is, is basically you can, like Scott was saying in the beginning, you can dodge and burn in the in the application, but not only that, but you can... Uh, locally adjust clarity, saturation, and it's all non-destructive. So it's just recording math about your keystrokes instead of actually harming pixels, which means you can roll back and adjust at any point. It's all stored in metadata with the file. Um, And that's that's a main point uh, that a lot of users are picking up on is the difference between our app and some other uh, plug-in-based application. Hang on
1: a second there, Fred. Is this simple XML sidecar data?
0: It is. It is. It's stored in the XML sidecar and it's, uh, you know, it travels with the image. So if you, and then just to piggyback on top of that, if you create a DNG, it's of course stored with the file. So you have one, one compact
2: raw file with all the, the corrections and everything stored within it. Wow. So what, what's, what's the uh, interface for creating the, the mask effectively, the area, you know, how do you choose what areas you're going to be affecting and not, is it a That's, paint it, that's cool. So,
0: we, we put a lot of thought into that, and, they, you know, it's still in beta, so they continue to tweak with the, the interface to get it right, because this is, this is probably, you know, you look at Lightroom, as sort of the, the Marines, you know, when it comes to innovating on new features, and Photoshop is the army behind it, so the Marines go in first, right? Uh, so the, uh, in terms of how the interface works, currently you, draw, you basically drop what we're calling a pin on the location that you want to edit. Uh, so, you drop it on there, and as you and ba- by dropping it you 're just basically painting a, a keystroke. when you hit that pin, it recognizes the areas of color and contrast around where it is, and it pays attention to where you 're painting and If you have the auto mask uh, preference checked in the side panel, it will intelligently detect the edges of where you 're painting it's all it 's really kind of magical so you're so you 're painting a sky and there are mountains below as you paint the darken that sky when you overlay or when you sort of go out of the lines and, and hit the tips of the mountains there, it will stop painting there and follow your cursor. So, like, a, basically an auto mask. So, as you're painting, you're, you're painting this correction on there. And then when you're done, that pin represents that, that entire correction that you did. Now you can go over to the side panel and back it off or increase it or, you know, feather the edge a little more, or whatever you want to do. Is that you using can, the
1: new technology, people- Fred?
0: No, no, it's technology that came from the, the creators of Photoshop. Actually,
2: okay, I just but it's if it's if similar. That's sort of the way that the Nick stuff works with the right. the plugin, right? Where you uh, right. sort of define yeah, a re- similar. Yeah, yeah. So, yep,
1: who designed that, that yeah. interface first? Them or you?
0: I don't know. I don't know <laughs> who came up with that interface first. Um, I know they had theirs out first, so okay. I don't know who designed it first. So.
1: Now, when it comes to the plugin stuff, you said we do this as XML sidecar files a little bit differently than other applications. That wouldn't be Aperture you're speaking about, would it?
0: <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Well, you know, and we, we haven't been, you know, very secret about that or, or very shy about it. Our application is, and part of the DNA of Lightroom, frankly, is that everything we do needs to be non-destructive. You know, we can't, we don't want to go back and render anything or force you to. Create, you know, or eat up all that hard disk by rendering a TIFF file and applying your adjustments, and then going back to the raw file to make changes against that. So everything we do um, needs to be non-destructive and editable within Lightroom, and then you spit out whatever kind of file you need, whether it be a JPEG or a TIFF or whatever. After that, um, the way uh, Aperture works with its plugin, with its uh, localized correction implementation, is that it will, once you make your corrections, so first it'll spawn a TIFF and compress all of your changes into that that tip so now you're no longer localized you're no longer editable after that so that's very much like you know previous versions of photoshop operated so we're we're looking towards the future and you know we, we sort of cracked this this nut open of everybody wants to be non destructive we're not going to mess with your images you can you know always have these pristine raw files to go back from you can spawn versions from them etc so we we have to keep with that which in a lot of ways ties our hands or makes things much harder for these math wizards over here because implementing a plug architecture where third parties, for example, could create plugins to do fancy things to your images means whatever they create needs to be non destructive as well. Because we we're we we will not break that sort of wall of let's
2: let's compress this down because then we're taking a step backward. Okay,
1: friend. So everything yeah, we really, do... I'm not no, gonna, it,
2: it's, it, go it's ahead. well it's interesting because it, that's really uh, you know, starting to show a divergence in the way that that Aperture is doing, you know, their localized stuff versus uh, what you guys are doing. And, I mean, there's sort of pros and cons in either direction. You know, what um, the the nice thing about the the Aperture plugin is that you can have a brush-based interface, which some people might find more interesting. But that, you know, that means that you're having to do paint-like stuff, and that's a lot harder to store as just, uh, you know, ASCII data. And that's, I think, part of the reason why they go to saving off a full-sized uh, image as part of what they're doing. And it, yep. I mean it, it makes it even harder to sort of decide which way people want to go because, uh, I mean, certainly I, I really like the idea of a consistent, non-destructive interface the way you guys are doing it. What Aperture's new plugin does uh, is effectively giving them open an external editor, only that external editor is just a plug-in. And uh, yeah. in some ways they have to do that because unlike you guys who can open in an external editor like Photoshop and they you know, can provide a solution to that, uh, you know, Apple doesn't have a dedicated uh, paint program they could do. So this is sort of, it makes sense that they did it this way in some, some ways because they don't have, you know, they, they like to provide a solution that doesn't necessarily have to involve Something like Photoshop, Photoshop so. right.
0: yeah, right. and that's that's where we step in, and you know that's that's part of the, the the value add. And a lot of people think that okay, you're you know Lightroom is I can get Lightroom and it's going to replace Photoshop. In many cases, that's true because that you know if you're doing doing Lightroom only type stuff. But the story that that we marketing people here at Adobe Pitch is that. You know, you need both of these applications if you're a serious photographer. It's the Lightroom Photoshop one-two punch for the pro photographer workflow. So, you know, if, you know, whereas you're spawning an aperture, you're spawning a plug-in to make these localized corrections, um, we feel, you know, you're going to do 90% of your stuff in Lightroom non-destructively. But then if you need the heavy lifting and the specialist and, you know, the the Beverly Hills plastic surgeon of Photoshop, then you can command E and invoke him. Okay, and Fred, we're going to we're going to we're gonna stop the commercial,
1: <laughs> and I'm going to uh, I'm going so this, to I'm going to put on a journalist hat. Go I'm, for it. I'm not going to treat you like my co-host. I'm going to treat Uh-oh. you like I'm going to treat you like a journalist and ask you: Was the release of Lightroom at this particular moment 2.0 beta in any way tied to the fact that Aperture just hit us with the 2.1 update with plugins?
0: That's a great question. I was hoping you'd ask me that, Scott. Um, no, it wasn't. We've been, you know, the, my dates have been on my calendar since way before you even came down to visit, uh, okay. Scott. It's, we, no, no, seriously, we, we, I'm, I trust the, you. I just asked the question. The message here, the message here is we don't tie our release schedules, our pricing, um, or anything else to other companies. We're, we're really brutally honest and we're not shy about saying that we everything we do is tied towards the, the greater good of the photographer. So our release schedules and we've got a you know a a line in the sand for the full commercial release of this application and the engineers are feverishly working towards that um, as they were feverishly working towards the date for the beta release. You know, the outside forces and their releases who knows what drove their timing, but ours has been the same for about a year now. At least, so here, you know. Here's,
1: here's what I want you to do. I want you to put. You don't have to disclose it, but I mm-hmm. want you to mail yourself a letter. <laughs> we want a sealed envelope. I want a sealed envelope where you put in what the drop dead gold date for Lightroom 2.0 is. I want you to mm-hmm. get that, mail it to yourself, get it postmarked. And then I'll preserve it, it the and then and then when it comes to that day, I want you to produce that, and if, you know, and we'll see, you know, that that you you verified that, so that because you know, there's just a lot of coincidental releases from Lightroom around the time that Aperture does something, going back to the actual launch of Aperture. So it was a mm. fair
0: question, don't you agree? That is a very fair question, okay. but. You know, you, you probably more than most people know that software cycles, especially at large companies, there's no way you can turn on a dime like that and say, oh, look, look at what happened. Let's just put this out now. You know, things, things <laughs> well, are tied to Steve, schedules and revenue, you know.
1: If you had a Steve Jobs-like figure at Adobe, I wouldn't necessarily agree with you. But because things can turn on a dime at Apple, if Steve walks in the room and goes, you know, that three-week deadline I gave you, it just turned into seven days. See ya.
2: You yeah. can do yeah that. within within limit. You can do that having yeah. having been uh, you know on the receiving end of Steve making <laughs> statements like that. You know there there is only so much you can do. Yeah, exactly. You've been there too, Fred. But yeah. I you know I do want to say kudos to you guys for for putting stuff out. In uh, I mean, it'd be great if this was actually the release version. But kudos for you know putting it out there in beta and getting feedback. And uh, you know that was always a frustration of mine at that, that Apple that uh, you know that's the. We're not going to show you anything until we're ready to ship it, and and again, yeah. it's just a, a really, you know, a really different philosophy between the two companies. And it's interesting to see that they both can produce great products uh, using such a widely divergent method of doing and, it.
1: At Apple, in fact, all the dictionaries have had the word beta redacted.
2: From,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that doesn't exist at Apple. We need to move on, guys, because I want to keep on time. Thanks for the update, Fred, and we're 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 going to we, Fred and I have been discussing the possibility of an all sh- uh, one show that's devoted to Lightroom and Aperture and uh we're going to try to get that done for everybody where we can let Fred just go on and on and on and on for half the show cuz you know I can go on forever right <laughs> uh, he can go on for half the show and then we'll <laughs> we'll hope that Joe Shore from Apple will stop by to do the other half if not we'll just uh, do our best to get involved and and help out
0: We want to bring in, yes, Scott. Before you move on, I want to I want to throw down the gauntlet here a little bit uh, to Joe Shore. Oh, Joe, uh, listening. Here's a message to Joe Shore. Um, Joe, (laughs) if if you are up for this, I would like to challenge you to a bowl off. (laughs) just you and I in a bowling alley, and we'll see who comes out (laughs) standing.
1: Okay, it has nothing to do with Aperture and Lightroom, but we'll be there with the TWIP recording crew just in case. They say, well, what about this version? Strike! Um, (laughs) All right, let's move on. We're going to bring in our brand-new producer here at This Week in Photography. He's been doing a great job with the show notes, and this guy's been very diligent. We love to crowdsource here, and uh, as a result, we found you know, just a brick of gold, and Aaron Mailer. Aaron, can you hear me? I certainly can, Scott. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks for the great job you're doing on the show notes, and thanks for agreeing to be our producer.
3: Sure, thanks. Glad to be here. And where where are you from, Aaron? Um, well, it's going to be afternoon for me. I'm uh, out in Virginia, actually okay. a small town of Sweetbriar, Virginia, just south of Charlottesville. Okay. Well,
1: appreciate you getting involved. Um, we're going to have you chip in with our site of the week, and this week we picked one that was suggested by a listener. Why don't you take it away?
3: Certainly. Uh, This was the listener suggestion, as uh, Scott mentioned, and uh, the site this week is going to be pbase.com, P-B-A-S-E dot com, and uh, it's going to be a site not unlike Flickr in some ways. It's considerably older. it's founded in 1999. Flickr uh, came around in 2004. It has a much more kind of grassroots feel to it, a bit more intimate site than Flickr, and uh, also a lot more kind of high art photography. Um, most of the galleries on there are popularized by, uh, by other members voting uh, to kind of push the galleries to the front. Lots of discussion on there. Um, certainly great for uh, amateur and professional photographers to see all different types of styles. And uh, one of the things that's particularly nice about it, it's very, very easy to find imagery on there coming from all different types of cameras. That's one way that they group them. So, for instance, right now on one page, I'm looking at images here that are from both a Nikon D3 and right next to it, some images from a Ray Number 1 4x5 plate camera from 1898. So, wow. Pretty diverse range. Cool.
1: I like that site. And I remember when it first came up. And, um, of course, it doesn't have the the curb appeal of Flickr. Sure. Certainly. Certainly. I, but, I actually uh, like
2: the the interface, the P-Base, better than the Flickr interface. I, I, I still feel like the Flickr interface is a bit really geek techy kind of thing, and the way it deals with sets and collections and all that is i don 't know I think it's actually kind of ugly it and seems
3: like a lot less flash and a lot more uh, just focus on the photography in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's really I good, it
2: 's a really good I think it's a really good point that it, it is a uh, you know it 's not just people putting up uh, snapshot kind of stuff. most people that put stuff on keybase tend to be putting you know really aesthetically pleasing photos up there, so doing a random search tends to get nicer-looking photos, I think, than than on Flickr. Cool.
1: Well, that's our side of the week. If you'd like to chip in and give us your recommendation for the side of the week, there's a couple ways to do it. You can post to Twip Ideas on Delicious at delicious.com. If you don't know how to do that, search Delicious on our blog because we have a video that was created by Leonelie, who of girlsgonegeek.tv, that shows you exactly how to do it. You can also just click the contact button on our blog, send us an email, Let us know what you think. We, of course, receive many more site suggestions than we can do since we only do one a week, but we do want to hear what you think. And if we get a lot of traction one way or another, we'll take a look at it. And Aaron, thanks for chipping in on the show and uh, for doing such a good job producing. Glad to do it. Thanks. Moving on, uh, I want to talk about our Flickr Challenge. Speaking of Flickr, our current challenge is in its second and final week, and the subject is people. That's it. No other help. How you interpret it is up to you. No nudity, please, because we're trying to do a kid-friendly site. It's not because we're prudes. We like nudes, but we don't want three-year-olds to find them. So just do anything you want but nudes. How you interpret people is up to you. And post it to Flickr using the following tag, TWIP, space, people. We will find it, look it over, and uh, we'll talk about the winner and runner-up in our next show and on the blog. Guys, did you notice we've got like 3,100 members in nine weeks? It's crazy. It's crazy talk. That's crazy. Wow. 3,100. Nine weeks ago, we didn't exist. 3,100 people have signed up. That's, that's quite gratifying. And I will say, I'm going to say this every week, I'm proud to declare that the TWIP discussion forum is the cleanest, most snarky-free, most flame-free photography forum in the universe.
2: It is. I agree with that, too. And, you know, if uh, if anybody that's popped around on some of these other forums, it can get really ugly. You know, people uh, say one dumb thing and they get flamed from eight different directions. And And uh, sometimes
1: the people doing the flaming are just as dumb. Oh, or more so. Well, we have a a cure for that. It's called the delete thread button, and I use it once in a while. But fortunately, I really don't hardly ever have to use it because people are keeping themselves honest. And and it's been very light touch for me. One or two people have been banned out of 3,000, which is an incredible um, you know, percentage, and, and almost none of the posts, maybe four or five posts out of 1,000. So thank you for keeping it clean. If you see something on the form that you don't like, that you don't think belongs, send me an email, and uh, we'll take a look at it. We, we would like to mention that we're probably, as we're recording this, our critique group, which is younger than the general discussion group, has hit close to a 1,000 members. I'm going to guess we're at 1,000, guys. Uh, get in there and do some critiques. Let people know what you think of the photos. Sign up. If you do not know how to use Flickr, first of all, go to flickr.com and click the Help button. They have copious amounts of data there for you to peruse. Secondly, you can go to our blog, twipphoto.com. Once again, search Flickr. Once again, Leona Lehua from Girls Gone Geek was nice enough to create some videos that show you just how to sign up and post images. It's all right there for you. So check out our Flickr discussion group. We really enjoy looking at your images. And man, I'm, I'm frequently humbled by the quality of some of the work. So
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nice that uh, the discussions actually contains some really good photographers, and uh, we don't have to go in there and talk about all the stuff because there's better people out there giving yeah. advice. So Yeah, they might
1: it's even nice. start doing their own show. Who knows?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's time for our special guest. Um, He flew all the way down here from Seattle, and his arms are no doubt quite tired. (laughs) Need a rim shot, Greg. Um, (laughs) His name is Bill Crow, and um, I'm just going to let him introduce himself. Welcome to This Week in Photography, Bill.
4: Hey, it's terrific to be here. Thanks for uh, letting me come on board. It's a great show. Thank
1: you. Would you please uh, let everybody know what your title is at Microsoft?
4: Uh, Well, the the official title, I guess, is a Group Manager. I work in a part of Microsoft called Live Labs. And we're responsible for developing some new technologies, primarily web-centric technologies. But I've worked in uh, the area of imaging and photography at Microsoft for quite some time. Uh, And a big part of that has been um, having a, a significant amount of responsibility for the development of HD photo, a new image format that we've been working on for Oh I don't want to count how many years.
1: <laughs> well we've we've heard Alex, um who is the resident geekiest of the geeks on our show here talk about HD photo and he describes it as potentially the new JPEG format. And uh really appreciate it if you'd elaborate a little bit on what H D photo is.
4: Well we uh we we, we hope uh that potential that, that Alex talks about becomes reality. In fact, The reason I'm down here in San Francisco is attending uh, the quarterly um, JPEG Standards Committee meeting, the International Standards Committee meeting, which we've been involved in now for for over a year since we first approached uh, JPEG uh, to contribute the HD photo technology as the basis for a new JPEG uh, standard, and that work has been... Progressing uh, at, at a, um, a very impressive rate, and uh, hopefully we'll get there. I can't announce things for JPEG, but, uh, but it's been another successful meeting and following on previous ones. Um, so that's, that's pretty encouraging. We're really excited to see that standardization happen.
1: So the long and short of it is is that those of us who use JPEGs on the web, which is just about everybody who posts a photograph to the web, we don't have to assume that the existing quality of a JPEG is all we're ever going to get. It might get better.
4: Well, uh, that's certainly the hope. Um, I think the big dilemma we've, we've seen is that, I mean, JPEG's been a phenomenal technology. It's, it's made digital photography possible. Um, and... Uh, you know, Next to text files, it's clearly the most uh, popular file format that exists in the world. Um, but JPEG has a series of limitations. It, it was just a function of when it was designed and when it was developed. And those limitations really inhibit a lot of the growth of digital photography. Now, most of your listeners of the show understand that. We talk about shooting in RAW, and you know, we have great products like Lightroom and Aperture that gives us workflows based on working from a RAW file format and that's primarily focused on avoiding the limitations imposed when that image data is put into a JPEG file, basically baked by the camera. Um, and 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 from that point on, it's difficult to to make adjustments and make changes. Um, but making that investment to raw is a big investment indeed, you know it's been talked about here on the show. Lots of photographers wrestle with that for this particular project. Am I shooting raw or am I shooting jPEG? and it's a you know it's not just automatic. you shoot everything raw, um, but certainly you're not shooting JPEG all the time. So our principal goal with HD photo was to a- advance that mainstream photo format, a jPEG like photo format. Take away as many of the barriers as we possibly could. So, HD Photo supports a wider range of what we describe as pixel formats, the way we encode the image. So, we can support high dynamic range and wide gamut information in a, JP, in a, in a HD Photo file. And uh, we combine that with better compression. So we can still keep them small and keep them portable and have higher quality even with lossy compression. Because JPEG, there's even at the highest compression quality, there's still you know, some significant loss. And finally, we provide support for progressive decoding. So it's real easy to quickly decode a smaller resolution version of an image without processing all the compressed data with a JPEG file. You um, you really have to decode the entire file and then resample it down. That gets really computationally expensive. Or you always have to carry around multiple thumbnails of different resolutions to provide that ability for fast previews. And it's not just lower resolution. It's also the ability to decode a particular region of a file. And we support not just RGB, but monochrome and CMYK, even n-channel, up to eight channels of content, we support you know high dynamic range and full floating point supports alpha channel. So if you think about why you'd use a PNG file, why you'd use a JPEG file, um, why you might choose to shoot in RAW in a lot of cases, um, we've tried to put all of that capability in a single file format with lossy or lossless compression in those multiple pixel formats and full high dynamic range support. You know, so com-
1: computationally expensive is not a phrase I hear
4: on a regular you know, basis. Just wanted to point that out. So, but, but for camera manufacturers, that, that that's a really important phrase because it determines yeah. how expensive the camera is and how long the battery lasts, and we all care about both those things. Ron, well, you
2: have I, a question? How, yeah, I mean, generally, how, how expensive is the, the decode for, for these uh, HD photo images? Is it significantly more than the decoding a JPEG?
4: It's marginally more than JPEG. Um, again, depending on what you're doing, if you're doing just the equivalent of JPEG, um, f- you know, staying in eight bit per channel, which HD Photo clearly also supports, um, it's um, it's probably it, you know it's hard to say. It all depends on how it's implemented and the optimization a chip manufacturer might um, be able to accomplish. But you know, it's more than one point two. It's you know whether it's two x or one point five x. It's kind of in that range. But that said, when you can also provide better compression, up to twice the compression ratio, in other words, the same lossy quality but in half the file size, then overall you're encoding and decoding less bits of compressed data. So you get back a lot of the efficiency just because you're processing less data. And for things in a camera that suck up the battery reading and writing to the flash card, the size of the data, as opposed to how many gates it takes to implement the encoder or decoder, really have the biggest impact on battery life. And the decoding and encoding happens at about the same rate? Absolutely the same rate. One of the attributes of creating a format that supports lossy and full lossless compression is that the encode and decode are essentially mirror images of each other. So it's, um, it's really exactly the same algorithm, just backwards. And we're one of the only formats that does implement lossy and lossless support using one single algorithm. Basically, when you crank that quality knob to 11, you know, that's mathematically lossless compression. And so that's real important for a device manufacturer as well because they don't have to implement two different compression algorithms uh, to get both lossy and lossless compression i want
1: to uh, jump in here and real quick talk about. I don't know how much you're involved with these projects, uh,
4: but Sea uh, Dragon and Photosynth. Yeah, so that's uh, that's actually the the principal focus I'm working on today, of course. Uh, uh, and these are these are um, products, technologies, and products we're building that, that build on top of the HD Photo file format. So I, I, I think a number of people have probably had the opportunity to see and play with Photosynth. It's at uh, those uh, of you who use Windows. Yeah, um, yeah that's correct. It, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's ninety five percent. It's just a small percentage of the market out there. But yeah, for that for that subset. Uh, Careful, we're in that other five percent. Uh-huh. So, and 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 um and but we'll we'll get to that in just a second here. So, so Photosynth is um um well worth finding a Windows machine to to check out if you if you're uh, involved in photography. Right now, we have a technology preview available. That's the first step. Well, and Photosynth is really a completely different way to think about and experience um, uh, digital photography. Uh, Photosynth will take your collection of photos taken at at one location or one, uh, one venue and analyze those photos and determine how those photos relate to each other in a three-dimensional space. And this is going to be a little hard for me to describe here on the podcast, so it's well worth taking a look at. Um, and, and then provides a viewer to allow you to explore those photos. So if you imagine bringing up um, an initial photo and simply using controls in the viewer to look a little to the left and have the photo that was taken looking a little to the left show up. And, um, and look right, and look down, and back up, or move forward, or move around an object. And all the time, that user interface, working in that three-dimensional space, is simply selecting the next appropriate photo from the collection of photos that represents that point of view and that angle. And the, and the collection doesn't even have to be from one photographer. Absolutely not. And okay. it doesn't have to be taken at the same time, or the same time of day, or the same time of year, or the same year. So it
1: searches all photographs that would have similar data... And so let's say you're taking a picture at, at uh, you know, Tiananmen Square. All the other pictures at Tiananmen Square get kind of put into a loop there.
4: Well, as, again, it, today it's a technology preview. So we've taken collections of photos right. you know, and, and had the Photosynth algorithm analyze those photos and, and, and organize these individual collections you know, that, that are grouped together. I think you know, as, as we move forward, then it has the potential... To um, become the basis for a way we share photos, and we have photos that were taken you know from multiple people, but at a common location and it wouldn 't yeah. require a tag as i understand it well it the the analysis is based just on looking at the contents of the photo, but it clearly you know the the way we've implemented today. I mean, it's not an unreasonable approach. It, it helps the process to say here, here's a collection of photos that go together. I see. You know, now so If it, if it those. were
1: tagged, it would work better.
4: Hey, hey, absolutely. But, it, T- but tagging it, it you,
2: yeah. I mean, you want you need to use tagging because otherwise, you know, the algorithm is just it's a pattern matching kind of thing. For anybody, just to sort of help explain it a little bit better, for anybody that's done stitching, for instance, where you take three images, you know, side by side, and then use a piece of software to stitch them together. What's really happening in there is it's doing this kind of localized pattern matching where it sees, oh, here's the windows of the building and these correspond to the same windows in this photo. And it kind of does a little mini alignment. And, and Photosynth is just like, you know, that taken to the nth degree where it can analyze multitudes of photos. doesn't take any sort of, it doesn't require any as much human intervention to do it. But if you're not sort of pre-culling what you're sending to it, you know, I, mean, I, I assume it could try to look through thousands of photos, but since every photo has to be compared to every other one, it's going to take a heck of a lot longer. And, you know, tagging or doing some sort of group submission to it is certainly going to make it a much more efficient process that
4: and that's absolutely right. And, and again, for, for the purpose of, of what it accomplishes, I mean, that's a very st- easy and straightforward thing to do, to take your subset of photos right. know, that go together and have Photosynth provide this viewing experience. Now, Photosynth uses, you mentioned, Sea dragon C-Dragon's an, a code name for an underlying technology that then allows those photos to be progressively displayed to the screen. What we mean by that is, so I, I put together my two, three hundred photos, and they're all eight megapixel, ten megapixel photos. I mean, I got gigapixels of information there. Sea dragon allows us to very quickly zoom in, zoom out, move from photo to photo with a completely seamless user interface. And so I can zoom in down to pixel level detail, zoom out to look at the entire collection of photos all on the screen at the same time. The C-Dragon technology handles the very challenging task of downloading just the bits I need for whatever view I'm looking at and doing that without an hourglass cursor ever appearing on the screen, without the user interface ever slowing down in a smooth, seamless way.
0: So so here, here's, here's a quick question from Mrs. Frederick. I know I've been a little silent. I've been thinking about this uh, in terms of the ramifications for, say, other genres of photography besides the landscape photographer or you know those, those sort of wide-angle folks. Are there any ramifications of this for, um, say, fashion and portraiture?
4: fashion and portraiture gets a little more challenging because in this case, the subject matter, um, a person, a face, um, you know, a, a, a wardrobe, um, the details that are used in Photosynth um, to find that alignment, to find that correlation, if you will, between photos are a little tougher to find because things move, things change. Facial expressions are different, um, but, but the ability to use that underlying Sea Dragon technology, I think, is, is universal in how it can be applied. Um, to be able to just have a whole new way to browse digital images and digital content um, across an Internet connection. So uh, another uh, um, product we have just recently released, which, by the way, you can experiment with and play with on a Mac, um, is a, is a feature called Deep Zoom in Silverlight. So Silverlight is a cross-platform uh, rich app- Internet application development tool. And um, the 2.0 beta is now available, was just announced, and it has a feature called Deep Zoom, and that builds on the same Sea dragon technology of progressive rendering. And uh, a great site to visit is the Hard Rock Cafe. In fact, if you go to memorabilia.hardrock.com, They're one of the customers out there that's really been uh, experimenting with this. And and it's real interesting from a photography standpoint because what you'll find at that site is the Hard Rock Cafe has, and this is just their first prototype they put up there. They put about 250 items of memorabilia, high-resolution photos of all kinds of bits and pieces of memorabilia from the various Hard Rock Cafes. And you can freely zoom in and zoom out and pan around. You'll find a, a Buddy Holly guitar there that's actually a gigapixel image, multi-gigapixel image that was stitched together Uh-oh. you know, in a, in a panoramic stitch. And so you can zoom right in and, and you know, count the winds uh, on the strings um, or zoom out and, and see the whole guitar. You can sort and rearrange the collection, subset it to by artist or by type of item in the collection. And all of this is, again, this complete, seamlessly smooth interface um, where you can continually zoom in and zoom out. Now, if your internet connection ha- has a hiccup and slows down, when you zoom in, that picture may be a little low resolution until it progressively downloads the detail. But the UI never stops. You can zoom back out or pan and move um, through that whole time. A very different experience than a typical. Photo browsing where, you know, you kind of pick between, well, do you want to see it right, in the small, right. medium, or large, and you bite off the the, the the big bullet to say, I want large, and then, you know, yeah. the hourglass cursor there is for a long time until you can finally look at the detail. Speaking of that, what I want to
1: know is, is now... You know, if you can't talk about this, you can't. But is this the kind of thing that Microsoft would look to license, maybe to somebody like Flickr, so that they could change their paradigm, or is Microsoft considering comp- maybe building a competitor to Flickr that would utilize this technology?
4: Well, well, the the capability we put in Silverlight makes it available to anyone, okay. um, anyone on any platform. It's uh, you know we ship Silverlight on on Windows and on Mac, and there's a third party that's licensed the technology Silverlight from us that's developing it for Linux. So. Um, and so this C-Dragon capability um, for, for this progr- high-performance progressive display of images is available today for any developer. So um, a personal site, a photo site could, could, could implement that today. And again, that, the Hard Rock uh, memorabilia site is a great a great tease to look at to get an idea of what the capability could be. Imagine that being your photo collection, not the Hard Rocks memorabilia photo. And what about Photosynth? Would that be something that you
1: might consider licensing out to help once again, work with companies like, and I'm, not gonna, I'm picking Flickr because that's what a lot of people are familiar with, but those kind of sites seem to me to be the kind of sites that would greatly benefit from what you're describing.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, again, I can't talk to those specifics. I'm not even sure I would know the specifics to talk to them. In general, though, Microsoft has, has done lots of things in the past to license technologies um, of, of all different types. It so, um, wouldn't be out of the question. Not out of the question at all.
2: Could, could we actually go back, since we're talking licensing, going back to the HD photo stuff and, you know, proposing that as the potential uh, next generation JPEG? Is that the kind of thing where there would still be licensing involved, or is that going to be full source code release uh, to the JPEG, JPEG committee?
4: So, um, uh, again, anything that goes through JPEG and ISO um, is, by their rules and their requirements, needs to be um, um, licensed – well, that it needs to be free. Basically all of the any contributor of intellectual property to that provides a you know statement to the JPEG committee that they're contributing that intellectual property um, to support that standard. And Microsoft has done all that um, with HD photo in JPEG. Now what JPEG produces is a standard uh, document, if you will, um, and from that point on um, you know, anyone can then build an implementation of that and, and license it any way they want, is it, which is exactly what happens with JPEG today, where there are companies, there are lots of free versions in public domain and open source versions of JPEG, and then there are companies that have very highly optimized versions of JPEG that they charge money for. Um, and so the same thing could apply here.
1: It's, it's really fascinating. If, you know, we're, we have very limited time on this show, but if you want to hear more about what Bill has to say about this and other topics... He was a recent guest on This Week in Media, also a Pixel Core production. He was on episode 51, and Aaron will link in the show notes to that episode where Alex and crew talked with Bill about this stuff more in depth. Bill, is there is there a place that people can go to follow what you're talking about or what you do or your personal stuff?
4: Yeah, a couple places. Um, uh, Microsoft.com slash Profoto is actually, I think, a very useful site. I'd like people to check out a lot of the things that Microsoft does in support of the Professional photography, prosumer market, is all um, kind of brought together there, and you'll find links to HD Photo and more information about that. And in terms of uh, the Sea Dragon and Photosynth technology, that's it. Um, um, labs.live.com, uh, which is the, the home site for, for Microsoft Live Labs. And then finally, um, I have a blog that i embarrassingly update only infrequently but i'm uh, i'm working to do better and that's at uh, blogs.msdn.com slash bill crow we'll have all those links in the show notes bill thanks so much for being a guest here on this week in photography hey glad to be able to do it great show thanks, i love bill. having i love
1: having smart people on the show guys yeah that's good stuff it, it's it's nice to having smart people because then you know i, I get to learn something
2: There's, I mean, this is really, there's so much amazing stuff coming out right now. And, you know, it's, there's, there's no end in sight to some of these image processing uh, tools that are going to be making photography. just look very, very different from what we're used to even, you know, five years from now. Yeah.
1: Well, when you look at where we were at 10 years ago with all this stuff, I'm pretty excited, you know, hoping I live long enough to see where we are 10 years from now. We have a poll up on the blog at twipphoto.com, and it's one that uh, Fred was mad about because he wanted there to be a million-dollar category here where you plan to spend – how much money do you plan to spend on photographic gear in the next six months? Fred was like a million dollars, right? At least. Yeah, Yeah. at least a million. We we have – I think 2,000 is the highest, so Fred – click that one because that was as close as we got to a million. But, uh, you know, there's always uh, 10 great reasons to buy a new piece of camera gear and the first nine are lust. After that, it's uh, whatever you need. So put, put, put down the truth there because your spouse won't know who you were. Uh, click on that and let us know how much money you plan to spend on uh, gear in the next six months, that poll's going to live about another week. We'll change that every couple of weeks. And it's free to participate. Nobody will know who you are. And you can see the results in real time. They're pres- uh, provided by Vizu. I want to mention that uh, we are extremely, extremely proud to note that after just nine weeks of existence, um, we have uh, a sponsor. Yay! <laughs> right. <laughs> the cast who might get a little check pretty soon is happy to say. Um, a lot of work goes into putting this show on. Um, a lot of money, in fact, goes to putting this show on. We're sitting here in a very nice studio in downtown San Francisco that costs money. We have servers that serve the show. A lot of people put their time into this. We've been doing it as a labor of love, but you know we have a very large audience, and and it makes sense to try to monetize that. If you like what we're doing, we hope you'll support our sponsor, and we have a good one for you. It's Audible. They're a company that you know if you've listened to a lot of other podcasts. They are really great at sponsoring podcasters and helping us make this new medium of podcasting a reality. And uh, as a very special gift to TWIP listeners, this is just for you. We will get you a free downloadable book if you sign up at Audible. It's... That simple. And if you decide you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel. Keep the free book. You're out nothing. There's no risk. Here's what you do. You go to www.audible.com, Excuse me. www.audiblepodcast.com slash twip. And that's how you'll get your secret code to get the free downloadable book. And every week, guys, we're going to have a pick of the week. It won't always be a photography book per se. We might pick things that are ancillary to photography like, you know, Maybe we'll do some computer books, and maybe we'll do books on art. Uh, this week, we do have a photography book, and it's going to sound like it's an odd pick, but if you bear with me, I, I think you'll understand why I picked it. It's called The Impressionist Camera, and it's, um, what it is is it's actually from the St. Louis Museum of Art. It was created as a special audio book to accompany an exhibition they had there. Now, you can download from Audible a complete list of all the sites in the museum that they're talking about. And in that list, there is the name of each photographer and his work. If you simply go into Google and type each of those names, you will be able to see the photographs and hear the curator describing them. So basically what this ends up is giving you a free look at an amazing exhibition that took place there. And the photographs are stunning. They're, they're basically... The kind of photographs that try to recreate old-fashioned paintings, and there, a lot of them are taken in like 1902 with equipment that's quite a bit more, uh, you know, Fred Flintstone Stone Age than than what we have to work with today. I was really impressed by it, and uh, the narrator does a, a great job. It's Brent Benjamin, and uh, it's there on Audible. That's my suggestion for a pick. Of course, you can use your free book any way you like and in the coming weeks uh, Ron and Fred and Alex and Steve and the whole gang we'll we'll have other picks for you and if you have suggestions about a book that might be of interest to photographers remember it doesn't have to be a photo book if you have suggestions for our Audible Pick of the Week we want to hear from you you can once again go to delicious.com with Twip Ideas you can also send us an email right off the blog and thank you very much to Audible for their support of this week in photography
2: yeah kudos to audible to recognize that even though we're doing a very visual uh, related show that uh, audio stuff is going to be a key part of it too yep and
1: and we do audio every week that hundreds of thousands Great. of people are not <laughs> downloading so I guess there's somebody paying attention <laughs> We got some listener question, guys, and we w- once again, we get way more questions than we can answer, but they do inform the show, so keep sending them, and uh, we'll pick a couple here or there. Um, to actually answer on the show if you'd like to increase the odds of getting your question answered on our show would you please just do us a favor and send us phonetic pronunciation of your name if it's not a typical you know name like Smith or Jones secondly let us know where you're from um, that's not required. We may still pick your question. It just, just really helps. And we're going to get into a question from David T. Wilson right off the bat. And I know that Fred will absolutely want to jump in. And I think what I'm going to do is uh, let Ron uh, answer this one as well. But uh, we, we, Thank we'll, you. We'll, we'll, we'll go ahead with, uh, <laughs> with uh, David's question, which is, I'm trying to decide between aperture and Lightroom. Can you guys offer any advice?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hold me back. No. no. You know, you've got, you know, you've got one minute, Brad. Yeah, yeah I think right, we'll, right, we'll limit we this to one minute each. I gotta pick these words you know very carefully. Okay. So um the the this honest question, the honest answer to this is they're both really, really good applications. And you know, a lot of it comes down to personal preference. So what I would, when people ask me this question, what I generally do is you know take the high road. You know when the when the devil on my left shoulder is saying you know something else, but I say um, both of these applications offer uh, a thirty day trial download. So download it, play with it, and make your own decision. You know based on there. No one you know because photography and workflow is so subjective. Um, it's best to play with it. You know take it for a test drive. Take each one for a test drive with it with a. Uh, with a test library and make your own conclusion from there. And then uh, let me know how much you like Lightroom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now the counterpoint presented by Ron Brinkman.
2: No, I, I, I mean, I totally agree. You know, that there are so many things. They're both very deep programs and there's so many different things that you can do with uh, them. And, you know, the feature set doesn't overlap hundred percent, but, you know, depending on what kind of photographer you are, uh, you know certain things in aperture may be more appropriate for what you want to do and, and certain things in lightroom may be more appropriate you know uh, historically what's sort of been tossed out there is that uh, aperture is a little bit stronger for organizational kinds of stuff and lightroom is a little stronger for image processing kind of stuff i don't you know especially looking at some of the new uh the new stuff coming out on both both sides i'm not sure that that's a particularly strong distinction and um you know it's it more it just gets down to the the little details uh and, and it's really hard to say so yeah go go play with both of them you know lightroom has the the nice uh, sort of uh workflow compatibilities with with photoshop but on the same side you know really uh aperture can do the same sort of thing you can do edit in an external editor uh and do the same kind of stuff i like uh you know the plugin stuff that uh, aperture has now got going on, although I think it is somewhat limited in terms of the way it works, as we discussed. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing what more comes out of Lightroom in that area. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Fred. Go, go play with both of them. You know, you'll make, you kind of make your own decision once you've done that. I think.
1: Well, David, yeah. just, just, just so you know, David, I'm trying to decide too because I'm a longtime aperture user, but Fred is trying to infect me with the Lightroom bug. And um, and so I'm playing with it. I'm trying to decide if I want to move my 400,000 image library uh, to to Lightroom. Um, th- 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 it's coming down to the point, though, that it's almost th- th- they're so close that I'm almost starting to recommend to people use the one that your buddies use. <laughs> you know, because that's where you'll get support, right? I mean, I yeah. tell people all the time. They say, "Should I buy a Mac or should I buy a Windows PC?" And my first question is. Well, what do the people around you use? If everybody in your office uses a Windows machine, you ought to get a Windows machine because you'll get help. If everybody in your office uses a Mac, you ought to get a Mac because you get help. Because otherwise, you're going to be lonely.
0: And you know, is- Scott, on top, top of that, the uh, the Windows versus Mac thing, um, if. If David's on a Windows machine, he's definitely going to want to go Lightroom because that other application isn't available on Windows. That
1: other application? <laughs> Would you quit it? That other application?
0: Yeah. No, the other by, candidate.
1: And by the way, David did not did not disclose, but I'm assuming that since he's considering Aperture, that he has a Mac. So there. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, the other thing I want to say, I, d- I wrote a blog post about this uh, a few weeks back, is you know my personal philosophy is I don't entirely trust any photo organizational app. So what I end up doing is making sure that the way the files are organized on disk is at least somewhat useful. Because you know, I, like, like you said, Scott, if at some point one of these goes away or I decide to change over to the other one, I don't want to have to go back through and redo everything from scratch. So as much as you can do to kind of organize your files on disk, and, you know, and or using sidecars or any of that kind of stuff, it's, I think it's a very sensible thing to do. It, it really you know, protects you, future-proofs future yourself against any changes that you might decide to do later.
1: I'm going to move on to a question from Ernie, who goes by the name Genuine240. And it's kind of a long question. It's all over the place. I'm going to pick a part of it that I think we can answer. Uh, can you please cover the histi- where in the histogram graph on my Canon 40D peaks past the top of the scale? Isn't this also clipping? I think what Ernie is asking is where is the clipping point on the histogram? And if so, that's anything that's right of that little square that you can look at when you're looking at the histogram. The histogram ends... At 255, Ernie, at 256, you're just like the Constitution, your history. There's nothing there. It's zero, zero, zero data. There's nothing recoverable. It's like a piece of clear plastic on a slide when you overexpose it. So the, well, clip, the, the clipping points, that's it. It can't go further than that.
2: Uh, well, uh, uh, the, the question is, and I think I've talked about this in a previous episode. I don't know that anybody ever went back and confirmed it. But I think what the camera shows you on its histogram is... Where the equivalent jPEG would clip, so even if you 're seeing clipping on your i don 't know if anybody knows that this is not true. But my understanding is if uh, you 're seeing something that is butted up against the right hand side on your camera, there may still be raw data beyond that well yeah' really, you 're right it is the jPEG where the jPEG would clip
1: but yeah. but but when you 're asking these kinds of questions, my position is you 're probably asking these kinds of questions because you 're not overly familiar with that sort of thing, you might want to air just a touch on the side. Uh, Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, now now we can have that whole left-right discussion. That's a whole show. You know, shoot for the maximum data, shoot for, you know, safety. But the bottom line is, if it's clipping on your histogram on your camera and you're not a seasoned shooter and you don't understand histograms top to bottom, I'd say that's where you stop. Yep. That's just my opinion. I agree. Great question. We're going to do one more. Um, Amy... i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly i'm going to photograph in the cold wintry part of canada amy that was a little superfluous that would be the you know pretty much all of canada right okay now we're gonna get letters from canada why do i do this to myself um there's no tropical part of canada i know that part um what precautions should i take with my camera battery well
2: have more than one that's a good point uh, seriously, these days, camera batteries—if you get them on eBay and you don't pay the outrageous manufacturer version, like forty bucks. You buy, yeah, or less than that even. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely worth having a couple of them. And then you know, then what you can do is sort of keep one of them kind of tucked inside, you know, warm clothing instead of uh, uh, exterior. I don't think—I mean, I don't know, Scott. You've probably shot in more uh, uh, cold weather conditions than I have, but I've never really had a problem with uh, a battery getting, you know, too cold to be used.
1: Well, I've been in some really cold conditions, and they do get – what happens is not that they get too cold to be used. It's just that they peter out in like 30 minutes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So what I do is I carry two or three batteries, and I – like in the real extreme cold – for instance, at Bosque de la Pache, New Mexico, in in the middle of winter when I'm there to shoot the the geese migration, it can be 14 below – and the wind blowing off of the off of the the lake there in front of the uh, the takeoff point for the birds is you know making it seem like it's thirty below. And I just stick what I do is underneath my parka, I just stick the batteries in my shirt pocket, which is several layers away from the cold and right next to my skin. And then what I do is about every fifteen twenty minutes, I just change the batteries and put one back in that pocket, put a new one in, and by rotating them and keeping them warm, I'm able to usually get four outer hours. Uh, out of a battery that would give me thirty minutes in those conditions. Of course they would typically give me maybe eight hours in, in regular conditions. So that's what I do. do, do you have I think any I'm other gonna, experience? I'm
2: gonna design a camera vest that has battery pockets sewn into the, <laughs> <to directly laughs> into the underarms yes, directly the armpit
1: area. But the mold would then render the battery useless.
0: <laughs> you know, I could share a tip that we that we used in the in the mil- in the military. It was um you know you go to the drugstore and you get those those heat packs yep. for those those chemically activated heat packs you put on your back Mm -hmm. that last like 12 hours. So we have a couple of those in our camera bags and this was back in the day when you know we were basically just keeping our double A's warm but uh, you know you just bring one of those along and you know crack it open and put it in the compartment where your batteries are and you got a little oven right there.
1: That's cool, I never thought of that. Yeah. Well if you have questions for us you know what to do, just visit the blog at twipphoto.com and Click the Contact Us form and send the question. Try to keep your questions focused on one simple point. If you you have multiple questions, then send multiple emails. Remember, we can't answer them all. We do occasionally try to get through 100 or so of them a week via email. We get to three or four of them on the show. That means hundreds of you won't get your question answered. But we look at what you're talking about, the kind of questions you're asking, to help us make decisions over what we're going to cover. For instance, our show last week on Raw was brought about because we had numerous questions on what is raw. So you you can still, in a way, get your question answered, even if it's not directly. So send it to us because we really do want to know what you think. Also, I do want to mention that next week we're going to have legendary photographer Joe McNally as our guest. And he's going to be discussing... His fantastic new book, The Moment It Clicks. If you don't know Joe's work, he shoots for National Geographic, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, Life Magazine, Time, Fortune, blah, blah, blah. Pretty much everybody in the world. And uh, he's been honored by Photo District News as one of their legends online. He's a big shot over there working with the Nikon people. And uh, we're going to get to talk to him right here. On this very show, and I'm sure that everybody's going to have questions for him, and we're going to find out what he's into. I'm pretty excited. What do you guys think?
2: Very That's a great cool. idea.
1: Really good work. If you have not seen Joe's work, go online and search his name, Joe McNally. My gosh, the guy can take a picture. I'll tell you that. Um, coming up uh, between our regularly scheduled podcast, I personally am working on a screencast that teaches you how to build actions in Photoshop. And I'm also going to include a step-by-step guide how to build my very popular Photoshop Velvea action, which I've sold around the world, but you'll get it for free if you watch this screencast and build it yourself. It turns your pictures into a, an image that looks like it was shot with our good old-fashioned favorite slide film for popping pictures, pictures that pop, Photoshop Velvea. That's coming up. And I heard some rumor that Fred was at some point in time, maybe in the next <laughs> eon or two, going to do some sort of screencast. Is that correct? Is that correct, Fred?
0: Yes, that is correct. You know, I'm going to see how long this goes on. No, no, really, I do have to do that. And uh, I wanted to throw one in there, you know, along with your with the action that you're going to be giving away. I wanted to get, shoot you one, Scott, to maybe give away at the same time. And there's one that I use for retouching um, models. And basically, you run it, and it... Present you with sort of a uh, ready to be retouched or ready to be uh, have details revealed on the model's face, sort of starting point, and uh, it does, it's really amazing. It took me about a year to refine it to where it is. So I'll send that along to uh, well, give some send of it your users. But I'd,
1: I'd really like for you to do a screencast or a blog post on how to use it.
0: Dang! I thought I almost got away with no. that. No, <laughs> no, you're a good journalist. Look at that! I tried to divert using my. My evade and uh, talk around it techniques, and it didn't work.
1: <laughs> and and well, you know that's because I just got off a call before this show with Apple, where you have to have all your your skills atoned to even get them to acknowledge you're speaking to somebody from Apple. So um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I I, I would appreciate that uh, as sure I'm sure our listeners would, but I want you to do a blog post or something. Spend spend five minutes. I know you know I know they work you. I will test this. They worked this guy to the bone over there at Adobe. I mean he's. Yeah he's he's doing 19 jobs over there so um that's
0: that's his but now, that, now that the beta is out of the birth canal um i will uh i will put together a screencast i promise how's that that's within good. the next how about i draw a line in the sand since i'm coming up there to see you tomorrow i'm gonna yeah. be busy yeah but uh but next week i will say by tuesday i will have at least one screencast in the camp for you. how's that okay uh,
1: ladies and gentlemen You heard it here on the episode. He's going to do it by Tuesday. Let's all have our uh, attention pointed at Fred Tuesday. And, uh, Ron, do you have anything coming up? You want to take a break? You got some time? What's going on?
2: (laughs) I'm not planning to do a screencast. Actually, we may be doing something. (laughs) We're going to be at the... uh NAB show. I guess that's two weeks from now though, right? Yeah, well, that's okay. That's okay. I mean,
1: you know, we don't have to talk about what's coming up in between the next show. We can have stuff coming up. Yeah, we're all going to be, well, many of us are going to be at NAB. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. Alex is going to be there. Are you going to be there, Fred?
0: Uh, No, I won't be at NAB. Adobe will be there. I won't be there.
1: Okay. Well, at least the three of us, maybe we can do something special. That'd be good. Okay. Well, you got a tip for our listeners. Every single week, we try to make sure that no matter what we blather about here on This Week in Photography, we provide at least one cogent and valuable photographic tip. And for this week's tip, we turn to our very own Ron Brinkman.
2: Ah, Well, th- this one is pretty obvious for anybody that's been doing much shooting. But, you know, I don't like using a flash whenever I uh, don't have to. And I find myself a lot of times just, you know, how do I get, how do I get the, the picture I want given the fact that there's not much light? So somehow... Find some way to brace your camera. And it's not always, I mean, if you can carry a tripod with you, that's great. But I've taken some really great photos by, you know, finding some weird object around there, a tree or the edge of a building, and just bracing the camera up next to it somehow. Uh, I've I've taken pictures where I'll set my backpack down on the ground and kind of mush the stuff around in it to get a nice, approximately oriented tripod-like surface and set it down there and use the timer but somehow, some way of stabilizing the camera when you're taking a picture. And, and it, it actually ends up being kind of interesting sometimes if you're. It forces you to go to a location you wouldn't normally be standing, or maybe reach up a little bit higher to get braced against the object you want to. And the picture comes out a little bit cocked sideways or something. But you get some happy surprises doing that. So, anytime you're taking a picture, don't assume you have to just stand there and hold the camera. Assume, you know, look for places where you can go brace it against something. It gives you a lot more control in terms of being able to to uh dial the settings down to where they uh you know don't have to be a fast shutter speed and uh get some great results that way.
1: Okay. Great tip. And if you uh have some suggestions for our tip of the week, let us know. In the meantime, we're gonna wrap up here. I wanna Thank Bill Crow from Microsoft for coming on, telling us what uh, the future of JPEG might look like. I I hope it comes true. Sounds exciting. I want to um, make sure that we say thanks to Aaron for his help today. Thanks to Greg Martin for engineering. Also, want to remind you go visit audiblepodcast dot com slash twip. Get your free downloadable book. They're our new sponsor. We're really glad to have them on board. We we hope to now be able to do a couple of things we couldn't do in the past because we'll have a little little bit of coin in our pocket to move on to some new projects. Fred, where can people find out what you're up to between shows?
0: You can, uh, they can check in on my blog, which I am now actively updating. And it looks uh, great. It, it looks really it, nice. Thank you. Thank you. It was a cobweb blog before. Now it's a web blog. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's, it's at frederickvan.com, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K, van.com. Or if you want to learn about Lightroom, you can head over to uh, uh, adobe.com slash Lightroom and you'll find everything, including the downloadable beta.
2: And Ron? I am at digitalcompositing.com, although if you've been there in the last two or three weeks, don't bother going back. There's nothing (laughs) (laughs) new.
1: Okay, thank you. Our our friend Steve Simon is uh, on location in Louisiana today, was not able to join us. He went to Africa, came back, joined us last week, then went to Louisiana. He's always on the road somewhere because he's famous. But uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to what he's got going on. He's got something going on next week. Aaron will we'll put that in there. And hopefully so he'll be. Chicago. Right? He's, he's, where's he going to be? something in chicago yeah chicago and aaron will link to that and 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 hopefully steve will be back next week along with alex and and the rest of the crew and if you're looking for my photographs you can find them at avianstock a-v-i-a-n-s-t-o-c-k dot com or you can follow me on twitter and that's just scott born all one word in the meantime we're really glad that you decided to listen to twip and for now the lens cap goes back on